Well, maitre d's went the way of the dodo in the 90s when the IRS cracked down. The maitre d' I think is a lost art because it hasn't been developed for 20 years or 25 years anymore. And I think it's about to come back. Hello, Dante. Erica, welcome everyone to our podcast, Maitre d' Diaries. We are going to take you behind the podium, between the tables, and inside the heads of the people who run your favorite dining rooms. I can't think of a better guest to kick off our pilot episode than the maitre d' of the moment, Michael Chechi Azalina. Michael is the author of the critically acclaimed book, Your Table is Ready, Tales of a New York City maitre d', which is being called the front of the house kitchen confidential. And I have my copy right here. (laughs) Michael is also an extremely gracious fellow, as he put up with me stalking him on Instagram for months before we met. (laughs) And he is getting ready to open his own restaurant, Chechi's. Amazing. Welcome, Michael. So good to have you. Hi, guys. Good good to be here. Uh, Number one. Wow. Yes, you are. What fun. So, uh, yeah, love to see where this is going to go. I know. Well, let's just jump right in because, quite frankly, of course, as you know, I've read your book. I loved it. Congratulations. Thank you. And I've also listened to a bunch of different interviews that you've given, including being on NPR, which is so cool. Yeah, Um, You tell so many great stories in your book. Do you have any fun tales about the publication of the book or people's reaction to it? What's happened since it's come out? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, who knew? I had no idea. I, I, I'm i doing this, the restaurant business a very long time, as you know, that 30 plus years. And you work in a restaurant for that many years, you get a lot of stories. And I always told stories to my guests and they, they basically should write this down. So I always thought for years and years, I'd write this down at some point and I finally yeah. did. Uh, expecting not much to happen, to be honest with you. And then my youngest daughter was born and I was about halfway through the book and that was it. I put it away. I had no time. I was working. I was a father and the new parents know you don't sleep and who has time to write. And like I said, I was working full time. Then came the pandemic uh, that upended everything, especially in the restaurant business. So I found myself about to go to Aruba on vacation with my family and everything shut down and the restaurant I was working at, I was back at Raul's uh, where I worked for many, many years and I was uh, jamming there and I was taking a vacation and the vacation lasted three years. (laughs) It's still going on. (laughs) I haven't really worked in a restaurant since uh, by choice. But, you know, the pandemic was eye-opening and a reckoning for many of us in the business and, uh, of course, out of the business. And it's changed a lot of people's lives. It changed lives in the restaurant business. And as you both know, the world that we inhabited in our business before no longer exists. It's changed completely. And we're learning new things every day, I I think. You know, we're still serving a steak and a piece of fish, but uh, all the parameters have changed. So anyway, in the middle of this pandemic, I'm sitting there and I get an email from a friend that said, hey, look at this. And there's a group in, in LA called Writer's Bootcamp. And they were offering a scholarship to writers who happened to be restaurant workers and were unemployed. They wanted to give back to the restaurant industry. Yeah. How random and how sort of dead on is this? And so I applied, I got the scholarship, which allowed me to finish the book. So what was sitting there for 
probably a year and a half. I hadn't touched it. Uh, I just, I, I went at it and finished the book. And about a day after I finished the book, I get a call from one of my customers, uh, former customers, because we're just checking in. Michael, how are you? What's going on? What are you doing? You know, we miss you. And I said, oh, you know, things are good. We're healthy. Thank God. And I just finished the book. Oh, what's the book about? I said, well, it's a front of house kitchen confidential. Oh, wow. That's amazing. I said, yeah. If you have an own agent, <laughs> let me know. He said, okay, sure. Hangs up the phone. The next day, an email from an agent who asked for the book, <laughs> who signed me. And then four months later, we got a publishing offer for it. So amazing. You know, yeah. So who would have known? You know, who figures? So the book comes out and the response has been phenomenal. It's been very, very touching. You know, I wrote a book, of, I started as a book of stories and I realized, well, that's not going to be enough. And it needs to be about the world that I've inhabited and we work in restaurants I've inhabited for many, many years and the cast of characters that enter our lives. Yes. And they're some of the most, to me, the beautiful, intelligent, crazy, insane, angry, nasty people <laughs> you'll find in one space within an hour. I really wanted to tell the story of what it takes to put a meal in front of a guest and how, how, um, how, oh God, you know, how crazy it can be and how hard and how difficult and ultimately how much love goes into it. So doing that, the book came out and the response from people in the business, not in the business has been really touching because I think it's hit a nerve. Because people get Brilliant. it, they get what they get it. That I think they, you get more about the restaurant world because we lost it for three years or mm. two and a half years, and we realized that restaurants were our town halls, our gathering places where we celebrate birthdays, anniversaries, dates, blah blah blah, and that was gone. It was so gone. So now that it's back for the most part, I'd say back all the way, I could be mistaken in some areas of the country, but people are loving it and understanding it more. And they understand, they got to know what, what it takes to do restaurants because most were not a business. And then you, everyone knew that restaurants couldn't hire people. It was, there was no, no labor pool any longer. So the book has hit a nerve with people, not just in the restaurant world, but those who have inhabited restaurants. And I think a, an understanding, a better understanding of we who do this. So that's a very long answer to your question. But I didn't expect this to happen. You know, I got, I got a letter from a woman. And she says, Michael, I just finished your book. And I, I'm sobbing. Oh. I'm here at home in the laundry room. I just folded all the clothes. My husband's a chef. It's around the Christmas season. And I'm not going to see him for two weeks. And no one gets it. And reading your book, yeah, really, no gets I'm it. not alone here. So, you know, the, the restaurant world affects so many people. And it's the families also. So I wanted to touch on that a little bit. And, and it, it, you know, it's made an impact and that makes me feel very good. I love it. Yeah, I love it, Michael. I mean, you know, food is love, right? And to be able to tell a story and it sustains us. And we do have so many of these stories. So I would like to ask a question, really. Is of there course. a crazy night or story that didn't make it into the book? And can you share that with our listeners? Oh, crazy that didn't make it, my God. <laughs> we know you have right. to How edit. Many? Not everything makes it. Yeah, no, I, I cut out a hundred pages of the book. Um, yeah. um, can we get back to this question? Yep. Yes. Yeah. Totally. So uh, to get back to the book, first of all, thank you for chronicling that for yes. all of us, um, because I do think it's a great contribution. And I think that 
you've probably only seen the tip of the iceberg of who's going to read this book, just like Kinchin Confidential. You know, Kinchin Confidential had a certain initial wave, but then people kept reading it and people kept reading it. So I think this this book is going to have very long legs and be a great contribution to our industry. So thank you so much for that. Yeah, a nice portal. I'd like to say a nice portal because we all like to tell stories and Erica and I both toggled back and forth about this very fact. So to have things that are documented and this is the, really the start of something really pretty special, you know, the dialogue and, and the continuation. So that's where Eric and I come in. Yeah. And it, I think it's something that needs to happen. But to get back to your question a second ago, yeah, I had, there was a crazy night. Um, had things happened in the restaurant world. You meet so many different people and I'm there one night and we had a customer that would come in who was pretty much of a wackadoo. He was this long hair and sometimes he'd come in wearing kilts and have no underwear under the kilt and would show people things that we didn't want to see. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Wacky. And he always had beautiful models with him and and one of more interesting, one of the more colorful, if not demanding customers. He he was really a sloth, honestly, and uh, 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 (laughs) a loud times. But we, you know, you're in hospitality and you, you deal with you deal with this. So he comes in one night and he says, you're an actor, aren't you? I says, yeah, you know, I've done a lot of acting. I'm, I'm pursuing it. He says, good, I need you to marry me. What? He says, I need you to marry me. What do you mean marry you? He says, well, mm-hmm. he's about to get married this, in, in one week. And his wife was Norwegian. And the whole family flew in. He's about, he's got a, I've got 80 Norwegians all over New York City waiting for the wedding. And she won't sign the prenup. So we need to do a mock wedding. So I want you to come and be a and and marry us. And I go, okay, <laughs> okay, crazy. So I actually had crazy. to do it, and it was on a Saturday. Oh, wow! I said you'll have to pay me a lot of money for not working my Saturday shift, which he did. And <laughs> the, the wedding was on the roof of his beautiful apartment in Soho, and we of get course. up there, and there's about a hundred people. And they're there for a ceremony. So I came in there. I was the the reverend, the the minister, whatever, and performed this ceremony. And I married them. <laughs> that is hysterical. Oh that is, my that's goodness! Just so crazy. It's a great so, one. Okay. I love it. I go. love it. Well, there you go. Kind of on that note, because um, we don't know, mm. we don't need to know, kind of who that was, but. You certainly have met and are friends with quite a star-studded cast of impressive people being celebrities or not. Was there somebody who had a reaction to or gave attention to the book that that really kind of made you a little starstruck, even with all of the exposure to the cool, famous, impressive people that you have? Yeah, I mean, you know, we, we live in New York City and in the restaurant business. And when you're in high-end restaurants, you meet everybody. And yes. it's crazy. It's just crazy. You never know who's going to walk in the door. You know, heads of state, movie stars, producers, directors, writers, everyone. And it's funny because you say you become friendly with them, but you do become friendly with people. But you become friendly with, I, I find, you become friendly with 
everyone, you know, people in the neighborhood, and you don't know who they are sometimes, and you're in conversation and you realize, oh, they just wrote this piece for Vanity Fair, and they've been writers for years, or New, or The New Yorker, and all that, and you go, oh, this is just like the guy from down the block who I've been serving mm-hmm. Hammer mm-hmm. for 100 years. Um, <laughs> you know, so many people in the business, and we're lucky in New York, and I'm sure in LA and Chicago, you get the same thing, and you get starstruck sometimes, you know, people walk in the door and they're your idol, um, uh, um, and you, you're kind of blown away by them. But people who've read the book, I say the most one that I really, really, really liked that the fact that he loved the book, in fact, this quote lives on the front page, is Jay McInerney. You know, mm. Jay really captured in mm. White Light's Big City the New York City that I came of age in. And that was your litmus test to how cool you are, what you've done, and if you've experienced what Jay wrote about. Um, and so the fact that he actually read my book and liked my book gave me a lot of encouragement actually to finish it. Yeah, you know, when that's you get amazing. Feedback like that. So that, you know, he really blew me away. And I admire him as, both as a man, as a, as a writer, as a, as a wine guy. He's a big wine writer as well. But that, that was, you know, the fact that the man who wrote Right Likes Big City Love My Book was really special. I would think so. Wow, that's, that's, that's fantastic. Great. Yeah, that's fantastic. Michael, you have a great take on what's more important, food or service. Could you share that with our listeners? Yeah, of course I can. Restaurants are not just about the food. I've touched on that already. But they're the town halls that we have. People go there to socialize, to celebrate engagements, marriages. I've had divorces celebrated. It's really a hub of connecting as human beings. And... As, as Dante, as you said earlier, you know, how special it is to feed someone and all. And it's such a primal thing. It's a gift to feed someone, to give, give someone food. Yes. So that's what we do. And the food is so important. But at the end of the day, it's really not about the food. It's about the experience in the restaurant. Some do go just, you know, look, they'll eat out seven days a week because they won't cook and they, they can't. And, and that's their nourishment. But it's different than that. And I think what's always been more important are those who are creating the environment and the experience for you when you walk in that door and those who serve your food. Granted, chefs are the hardest working people and cooks in the world. And what they do to put out a meal is phenomenal. And they do some incredible things. But if you go to a restaurant and this incredible food comes out and and your, your waiter is surly and you can't get a drink, yeah, you waited for exactly. that. And then the waiter screwed up and all of a sudden your entrees came out before the appetizers or they forgot your wife's candle and her dessert. And it was the big birthday celebration and you blew it. You're probably not going back to that restaurant, no matter how stellar yeah. that was. You can also go to a great restaurant and get a very perfunctory service where you come or even excellent service. But you walk in and, you know, everything on that plate is composed and put together beautifully. And you have a team of people serving you. But there's no soul. There's no life, you know, and I'm not putting down fine dining or things like that. But it's so important that the people who are giving you this meal engage you and provide an experience for you. And you walk in there, you walk in off the street, and the first thing you see is the maitre d' at the door, or the host at the door, who gives you a big smile, welcome, you're joining us for dinner, and the bartender acknowledges you and nods, what can I get you? That's the experience that I've always wanted in my life, and that's what I try to convey to my guests, and that's always, to me, more important than the food. 
It's about that experience and the vibe and how the people who are interacting with you relate to you because we all want to be, we want to have a good time with our tea. We don't want to, you know, be in a negative environment. Um, so to me, it's always been <coughs> that's that's the star and people keep coming back for that. Look, you can forgive an overcooked steak. We'll, we'll fix it. You want it medium rare? We'll get it medium rare for you. We forgot the dessert. Oh my God. You know what? All of a sudden eight <laughs> waiters are surrounding the table and they're singing happy birthday to make up for that. Um, I think Eric, you, you said a story about that when we were doing this little seminar at a high school, when you forget candles and desserts, which happens, but you can counteract that. You know, you, you can try to do that, but, but it's the service. It's the service. It's not about the food. I agree, Michael. And I find now the industry, we talked about it earlier, you know, post COVID and this new frontier. And I really think there's a little bit of an identity crisis going on where now some restaurants don't have that mechanism in place to understand what you're talking about and to extract and to extrapolate when you have a situation that needs to be rectified or just to be able to gravitate towards something that you feel is an opportunity. So yes, it is it's a new frontier. And, um, you know, I love to eat out. I eat out every night and I, I find some restaurants that are struggling because they don't know, is it social media that we need to be engaged with or that whole regular client base that we have or just the frequency, right? Because there's so much competition and so much going on that I find it's a really interesting time. And it's a great opportunity to be able to listen to people like yourself that have documented things from a little bit of the past and what's going into the present to be able to navigate uh, this new frontier. You know, I think restaurants need to get back to basics. You really exactly. got to get back to the simple things. Obviously you need social media and you need so many different things to run your restaurant, but really, really, really at the end of the day, it's about good food and a smile and warmth. And those people will come back to you. You know, totally. I was at Rolls for many years when I was pursuing acting. And sometimes we had chefs in there that weren't very good. They really weren't. And the kitchen struggled, <laughs> which happens with a lot of restaurants. There, there's ups and downs, but it did not matter. These people kept coming back because they wanted to say, hi, Michael, or hi, Eddie, the other major, or hi, Philip, and it's good to see you. And we knew their kids and we Absolutely. knew what school they were going to. And when you walk into environments like that, you're already happy and disarmed. And, and you know, you're going to see people that are enjoying you, your company and they're going to serve you something good, a good drink and a good meal and you go home. And, you know, a lot of restaurants now are groups. They're not mom and pop yes. businesses. It's they own three, four, five restaurants. Yes. Who are you seeing on a daily basis? And a lot of them don't have a maitre d'. They have a host and the host is ever changing because they're making, well, now maybe $20, $25 an hour, but they're involved in 10 different other things, which is fine. Yes. But they're not the person there at the door who understands what this business is, who my clients are, who was in last week, who came in a month ago and sent back uh, the, 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 yes. the, you know, the, the pasta because it was the wrong sauce on it. You, you need someone to do that. And owners aren't there in these groups. And you have general managers. But who's the person there that's guiding it, that's creating the experience? And we're losing that. And I think people left the business because they got so frustrated with the way they were treated and it, it's all new now. And I think people have lost the sense of what restaurants are really about in order to turn a profit, you know, in order to keep staff or not keep staff because they can't afford them any longer and they're cutting down and now you go up to the counter to order and someone maybe will bring you your food and that's it. So you're there just to eat. That 
of, of course provides a function and a necessary function, but it's not the restaurant world that I know and not the restaurant world that when it closed, people were devastated because they had nowhere yes. to go mm-hmm. and go back to these experiences. So yeah, this it's, it's a time of reckoning for the business on how we treat our employees, uh, how we treat our guests and who's who's really in charge and what are you actually providing? You know, is it the seventh restaurant in your chain and it's a name and you have Italian and you have Chinese and you have Greek and all that. And that's what you're serving. But it becomes granted restaurants commerce. It's part of the economic <laughs> engine of cities, of people, to hire people. But it's more than that. And when you reduce it just to the economics, we have a problem, I think. Yeah, I agree, okay. Michael. And. Could you tell our listeners what's happening wait, with Chechi? Wait, wait, hold on. Before we get to Chechi's, though, sorry to interrupt, but I want to follow up on that. I agree 100%. I mean, here we are starting a podcast called Maitre D Diaries. It's about the front of the house in general. But basically what you just said, I think, encapsulates how important the role of a maitre d' is because of designing that welcome because even if they don't have literal ownership in the restaurant, they are the patron or the patroness or whatever of the welcome. And I do think we know that it's really hard for a single restaurant to make it, especially in a big city. And people look for the scale to be able to afford a certain kind of restaurant, they need another kind of restaurant. And and so I do understand that, but I agree with you that we're losing something if there isn't a consistent presence. Well, some of them take a proprietary interest in, in, in the business. And you can have, look, Stephen Starr, I think is one of the more successful restaurateurs in America, if not the world. And I've lost count. He's got 40 something restaurants now. And I truly believe, and successful, He's had very few failures. You know, 88, 85% of restaurants fail in three years, 90 in five years. I think I'm misquoting that, but it's close to that. So many restaurants fail. Stephen has a track record that, I mean, he hits grand slams. And yeah. I really think the reason he does this is because he operates each one almost as a mom and pop place. Mm-hmm. There's 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 small-ish restaurants. Even Le Cuckoo, we, we never felt yes. we were part of a restaurant group. We were a bunch of individuals that were hired to create something which I thought was really special. And I was at the door, Daniel's in the kitchen. We had a management team that was all, for all general managers that had left other jobs. So he put together a great team and let that team run the restaurant. Mm-hmm. And his other houses that he had, you know, in Philly, a number of his restaurants, they're smaller, but they're so successful because he gets that, is that the people there need to have a proprietary interest in one particular place and not about nine, 10, 11, or 20 restaurants. And it's hard to do, you know, and it's frustrating on some level. Well, if you're working in that small restaurant where you think there's, oh, they have 40 restaurants and why don't we get that today or something and happen like that. But it, 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 they retain the autonomy and it's hard to do unless you put the right people in those places. Um, I agree. Yeah, yeah. You know, what's interesting Uh, about Stephen Starr, too, is that he has that background in theater, in entertainment, and he appreciates, um, I know from conversations with him myself, he really gets the importance of having the right person at the door and starting from there. And and so, but also, I was the first true maitre d' that Stephen Starr ever hired. Mm. He didn't wow. have major yeah. D's. Um, yeah. he had, Interesting. He had a, they had hosted. Well, major D's went the way of the dodo in the 90s. 
when the IRS cracked down and, and make sure you couldn't get tipped from the tip pool on the floor from servers because they deemed you as a management position. So they were very well-paid jobs, you know, because you're, you're, you're culling from the tip pool. When that stopped, restaurants couldn't afford a six-figure salary or, or a high five-figure salary to a maitre d', so they hired a host at minimum wage. And it really, restaurants really lost a step, I believe, in terms of the connections with customers. Some some retain that, and some, of course, they're very successful restaurants. But the, the maitre d', I think, is a lost art because it hasn't been developed for 20 years or 25 years anymore. And I think it's about to come back for all the reasons we're talking about. But that was the first real maitre d' Stevens I ever had. But he knew this restaurant needed it intuitively he understood that it has to have someone at the door that understands this room and the customers that we want here, because that's very important. And it was going to be a, you know, a high uh, uh, or a, a very varied clientele from all walks of life. And, you know, great maitre d's, we curate the room and we know how to take reservations and where to put people or where not to put people. And, you know, you want to keep that balance. And so it's a job I hope returns. You began to mention my restaurant that I'm opening, Checkies. Um, I hired a maitre d'. And, uh, of course you did. I'm dying of curiosity. Who cuts yeah. the mustard to be the maitre d' in your restaurant? Well, you'll see him, but I met him years ago. He was just learning the business and he was at the door and one of the most gracious, kind people I'd ever met and always had a smile. And I ran into him in two other restaurants and every single time you walked in, you got a hug and welcome and you felt like you were the only person in the damn restaurant. He has it. Bravo. And I couldn't wait to be able to offer him a job and he's going to come work with me. So I'm not going to say his name because he's still employed. Um, <laughs> else, but he's coming oh. in. But, but uh, look, I know I can't do it. And I know that I need that position. I want that position at the door because I'm, I'm my, my restaurant is about is I'm trying to create the quintessential New York City restaurant, which I feel no longer exists. Mm. Harkening back to the store club, though, it's not going to be nearly as grand as that. But Mortimer's, which was this a restaurant on the Upper East Side. Cafe Society, much like Michael's is on the Upper East Side, where people went and you knew who was running it. And it was an old New York world and the food was simple. Um, I think their, their specialty was meatloaf. Go figure. Who eats meatloaf? You know, <laughs> but people loved it. And Elaine's, you know, while the food was yes. so good. I love Elaine's. You know, it was loved. a New York vibe. You had writers and artists and neighbors and doctors and lawyers, a real, you know, hodgepodge of New York people. And I don't see that anymore in the city. I don't see something specifically, well, Myers is going to be American. Um, and what what is American food? I don't know. You don't, you know, if you're French and you're sitting in Paris, say, let's fly to New York. You don't say, let's go to New York to eat American food. We don't, it just, you just don't do it. So I, I wanted to get like an American bistro, what that would be. And to me, that's the bars and grills that dotted Brooklyn, where I grew up in the neighborhood that was a, a couple opened it or, or a couple of guys opened it and they had a bar and they put a grill in the back. And on the sign, it said steaks, chops, and seafood. And my mouth would water because I knew I'd go in there and get a great steak. I'd get there to be lobster. And it was wonderful. And to me, that's like the basic American cooking that I really want to recreate. Simple, simply prepared, well done, well executed in a fun, vibrant, New York City-centric environment. 
Um, that's the goal. And I thought I set myself up for massive failure. We'll see, <laughs> no, we'll see what happens. But I, I just want to get back to basics. I just want to get back to basics. I want you to come in and have a great time and have a steak and a salad or a, a simple piece of fish and, and be happy. And it's your neighborhood canteen. That's what I want it to be. Nothing more. I love it. I love it. And the key is to know who the maitre d' is. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It, so we can get a table. It helps. Should, should we be that busy? No, it helps. But look, you want everybody in the restaurant. You don't want to exactly. turn down people. People feel that they're oh, so busy, so busy, I can't get in. Well, it's not because we don't want you. We really want you here, right? You guys know this. You work the doors. We want Absolutely. everybody in. You just got to juggle. You got to juggle. And how do you do I it? Love it? You try to be as egalitarian as possible and seat as, as many people as possible. But sometimes it's hard. Yes, restaurants are it's demanding. Demand overwhelms your capacity. True, but wow. unfortunately, Amazing. these days, it seems like only on particular days. So we need to get people back to what New York used to have, which was a seven-day-a-week dining scene. Yeah. And I think your location is probably really good for that. Um, I was at Don Angie the other night on a Tuesday, and I don't know how long their night went, but it was busy at the time that we were there and it was full. Yeah. Well, look, it's the city. It's not the city that I wrote about in my book. That really doesn't exist any longer. There's a whole new um, society's changed and the late nights have changed and people are working harder and people aren't working or they're working from home. Mm -hmm. So I don't think we know what the new normal is, what the hours are and what the days are and what the demand is. It's going to be a lot of trial and error. Yeah, I agree. Okay. And that's the best way to learn, right? Yeah. There's yeah. so much so much available, especially in the city, with delivery apps. So you don't have to go anywhere. You can sit home and, and crazy. Get, off your, get off your couch. So what, what yeah. brings people out? I think because we have to, because we're social animals. But exactly. there's so many varieties out there. And I don't know what the new normal is, but I'll, I'll find out, I think. Yes, you will. Um, Michael, I, I know this is a tough question to answer, especially in New York City, but what's the timeline for the restaurant? We're very close, finally. The struggle is to get the gas in the restaurant. Oh, for yes, a always. Of reasons. But we just uh, tested the newly installed gas lines and we passed what's called a pressure test. So now mm -hmm. we need a couple of two or three inspections. So I think I'll have gas in two to three weeks which means we'll start cooking and testing. And so a month after that. So six, seven weeks, I hope. I hope. Maybe. Amazing. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, it's been a year and a half, so it's not that amazing. But, we'll <laughs> but that's how long it takes. It's crazy. Yeah, we'll finally, People don't know. We're limping, we're limping to the end, but we'll get there. The interior is finished in two weeks. So Beautiful. we start training and getting cooking. Beautiful. Yeah. Okay. Final question. What's the biggest tip you ever got? Um, if you go, yeah. So in today's dollars, it's probably about $1,200. Yeah. It's a good tip. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what was it back then though? Uh, I did the math it, like four or 500, something like that. $500 probably. Yeah. yeah that makes sense. Yeah. Like yeah. That. We actually did the math because I, I I talk about in my book I talk about tipping and we had to figure out what a dollar was back then and what a dollar <laughs> is today. Yeah, it was just yeah, yeah. It was a great guy. That's he a good tip. Just, yeah, very happy. Michael, I just want to tell you you totally inspired me this morning. I am going to make sure that your book makes it into my briefcase because <laughs> Andrew Carmelini and I were just having a conversation about 
you know, so many times with operators, we're just we're looking at things like PL statements, new furniture and refrigeration, but we tend to forget about what's happening literally right in front of us, whether it's dusty banquets or who's sitting in the dining room. It's almost like the theater when you go to a movie and it, the place is empty and you go to sit down and then invariably the next set of people come in and sit like right in front of you. <laughs> it's like yeah. you know, you've I was got in, I was this in a... entire theater. Yeah, I was I was in a really well-known restaurant about a month ago and I took my designer out to have a martini. We're sitting at the bar and I'm at the bar and I looked up and there's lights above the bar covered in dust. And I looked yeah. behind the bar and the mirrors were dirty. And I, like you say, this attention to detail, the banquette's dusty. And it's like, why is no one looking at this? But then they were yeah. packed. So maybe no one cares. I, yeah. I don't know, but... Yeah. And it's so, again, we've been looking at how to empower the people that we work with on our teams. And in, it's everything from wine knowledge to uh, sequence of service to what is on the plate. But this will be a nice foray into pre-shift for a while, just kind of just talking about uh, what's out there in the literature and the notables that are documenting and have documented things and Amazing. try to in, fill and empower people. Yeah. I thank you for that. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. All right. Well, we are super excited and it's Checkies. Yes. Checkies. Yes. yes. Okay. We are super excited to go and to support you. And we are so grateful to have you as our inaugural guest on Matrix Diaries. <laughs> I am so honored. You have no idea. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Perfect fit. Thanks, guys. All right. Well, also, maybe the three of us can get together for one of those martinis sometime between now and then. I'm around. Awesome. Thank you so much. Perfect. Thank you. Bye, guys. Michael, thank you. Have a great day. You're welcome. Okay, bye. Bye. So, all right, now for our regular segments of the podcast. First off, the 86 list. Some restaurant behavior, it could be guest or employee behavior that really annoys us. It could be a serious social infraction or just a pet peeve. You know what? If there's somebody that doesn't adjust their reservation and then they come in, <laughs> now they're a party from four, it's party of six and the restaurant is full. And what are we supposed to do about that? Exactly. That, could that be something that could fall into that category, yes. Erica? Yes. Okay. People who change the number of guests and don't let us know, that needs to be 86th. But we have a lot of other things that are going Please. to be 86th. We're going to talk about them every okay. episode. Okay. Wow. Okay. I'm excited, girl. This is good stuff, Erica. Keep going. What else What else could be covered on these episodes? We're actually going to have a segment of this podcast called Soigne Yourself. The word soigne is French for to take special care of. And in the front of the house, we're always trying to make sure things are très soigné. It almost to me sounds like a chore choreographed dance or a, a pirouette or a something. So please tell it me. It does. And so many of those French words do sound like a nice little massage. And mm -hmm. uh, sometimes I think the best maitre d's or hosts are people who, by the time you get to your table, you feel like you've gotten this little maitre d' massage. You've been welcomed by Dante. You feel good. 
So the word soigner is a verb, mm -hmm. but it's also an adjective. And it has also become, over the years, a noun. Mm -hmm. To refer to this little piece of paper mm -hmm. that we write, and in American English it tends to be referred to as a chit. Mm -hmm. something that comes now out of a machine. We used to handwrite them. But the soigner is a little piece of paper that tells us the special information about that guest. Do we really want to tell our listeners this little hidden, hidden secret? Mm, maybe we'll, we'll save that. We'll save it. Yeah. But we will tell you what soigner means. Soigner means to care for or to tend to, to nurture, to look after. And when something is soigner or tres soigner, it means that it's been prepared with great attention to detail. So that's going to be a word that you hear us use because you know what? Yeah, I'm going to start with we myself. Need it. Well, why? Yeah. Why do you need to swan yourself? I think it's important because if you're going to be in the service industry and on the battlefield on huh? a daily basis, it has to start from within. So why not practice? what we preach and it starts that way so that a lot of that it is very visceral what we do is very tactical mm -hmm. so it's going to help sort of translate onto the guest experience whether we're having that sort of soigner experience before we go to work mm -hmm. or with our co-workers I think all of that plays into how we manage that organically within ourselves and then of course how it translates onto the guest experience. Absolutely. And I think of that classic reference, you have to put the oxygen mask on yourself first, right? We have to take care of ourselves first. And people who work in the front of the house of restaurants are caretakers. We have to replenish. We have to be able to refill. We have to draw from something. Yeah. You know, sometimes I just say, I'm nice to people all day. That's what I do. Mm. Okay, mm -hmm. obviously it's one part of what I do. Exactly. But if you're nice to people all day long, where's that coming from? Mm -hmm. You got to be agree. nice to yourself yeah. too. Yeah, let's bring it on. Absolutely. And so another segment of our podcast is going to be best bites and best sips because we do try to get around and we want to share with you, our listeners, some of the things we're excited about that we've been drinking and eating. Have you had anything particularly delicious lately that you want to tell people about? That's a really good question. Um, well, yes, you know, why are we in the business, right? We are there to really captivate others. And at the same time, when we're off or we're, or, you know, after work, we want to go to some place and be captivated. I work in Tribeca and uh, there's some great restaurants in Tribeca. And one of which I was craving Mexican food and I went to a place called Fonda and great environment, great atmosphere, great food, reasonably priced. And I sat at the bar and I love sitting at a nice bar sometimes to have a, whether it's just a cocktail or just to be able to survey the room. And I just had a really great meal. And that's all it takes sometimes. It's just some of those simple pleasures just knowing that you can sit in an environment that is conducive for the food that you're about to consume and you can have a nice conversation with someone who's knowledgeable who wants to be there i think that's really the main goal right especially after a long day or when you're entertaining someone else is to be able to go someplace that you feel like okay yeah it's checking off all the boxes right let's be on the other side of the table for a change exactly exactly well, Erica, all this sounds amazing, and I cannot wait to be able to work with you on this project. Yeah. And um, 
whether we have a special guest or we're talking about a special concept. That's really where this idea came from in the first place. I wanted to spend more time with you. Thank you. And we want to have a reason to reach out to all these amazing people, people that we've known from the past in the industry and people that we're meeting, newcomers to the business, younger folks. We want to get to know each other. We want to have a conversation. We want to have a place to talk. And as much as the world has changed, maybe we're not going to as many events. This is where we're talking. I love it. We're talking in the podcast. <laughs> Perfect. Thanks, Erica. Thank you, Dante. I, I, I... Thank you for joining us at Maitre D Diaries. Of course, we believe in giving good tips, so we want to leave you with the first of many good guest tips. And this is kind of the golden rule umbrella technique that will serve you best, at least in a restaurant you hope to return to someday. Just be nice. Kindness and patience go a long way. Maitre D Diaries is edited and produced by Erica Cantley. Conrad Lonsdale Knudsen is our assistant editor, and Chris Cantley is our designer and advisor. The theme music is by Yiriai Semshishin. Wait, wait, don't go away. We've got a little bonus content for you here. Since it took so long to get this dear podcast off the ground, we decided to check back in with Michael Azalina to see how his restaurant has been going since we first interviewed him. Listen in. Well, guys, welcome back to Maitre D Diaries. It's over five months since we talked to Michael, maybe almost six. I'm not even sure. Dante and I talked to you in the spring. That's crazy. I know. And you've been open for almost four months. Yeah. July 1st, we opened. Amazing. So welcome back to the show. We just wanted to do a quick check-in to tack on to the end of the wonderful interview we did this spring and hear how it's been. How's it been going? It's insane. <laughs> it's, op- <laughs> it's opening a restaurant. So everything that could possibly go wrong went wrong. Um uh, so you were still, I guess, what, July 1st. So I think you're right. This is it four months? Um, we're still working through things. You know, we're just still working through the menu. We're still working through the wine list. Uh, we started small and we got so busy. We weren't able to really ramp up and get things done that I thought we'd possibly get done sooner. But things now are in a in a pretty good place, in a pretty good place. Uh, we're hiring good people. We, of course, had staff shortages like everyone. Uh, it took us a while for the kitchen to get fully staffed. I had my chef, my sous chef, and one cook, the three of them working maybe six weeks by themselves to do the line at night till we can get wow. more cooks. So we've got that going. Uh, front of houses, we're short one or two people. But other than that, it's pretty good. Fantastic. Well, from the guest side, I know it's really good. Dante and I've been in there a couple of times and it's uh, a fantastic experience in that space, Michael. 
You know, it's it's um, the, the restaurant has has really filled a need, um, uh, not just in this neighborhood, but I think the whole city. Um, I, I'm really blown away by the guests that come in and think, oh, my God, this is so wonderful to have this sort of experience, which is really a very simple experience. You know, we're not reinventing the wheel here. We created, I think, what uh, everyone tells me, and I agree with, a really lovely space that's intimate and sexy and feels timeless and provides really an exceptional hospitality um, to all our guests that walk through the door and people get it, you know? They love coming here, having a martini, sitting in a sexy room and feeling like this is the New York that they either wanted or used to experience and no longer exists. And that's not putting down any other restaurant in New York City whatsoever. You know, I, my, my, I really wanted a, a quintessential New York City that I experienced. Uh, in my life in Brooklyn and Manhattan, and most of them are gone. And so this is sort of the, you know, an homage to those and that feeling, you know, I referenced the store club, Mortimer's, Elaine's, uh, a little bit of Joelle, a little bit of Raul's and sort of try to put it all together for this, you know, an alchemy of, of, of what I think are great restaurants. I agree completely. And I do think we are seeing kind of a new nostalgia wave for old New York that, you know, you're on the cutting edge of and other people are starting to pick up on that idea of, um, you know, there's a whole new generation of people who kind of heard about, read about, yeah. watched about old New York, um, but they're looking for it now. Yeah, especially people who read my book and they go, God, I wish I, I I was around in those days and and to experience those restaurants. And you know, the restaurants are still here for the most part. Um, uh, but they things have changed and the whole ethos has changed in terms of what restaurants do and provide. I think restaurant groups have really hurt uh the experience for guests and that there's no there's no real presence that creates uh you know what you do when the owner is present constantly you know i worked with buzzy o'keefe at the water club and river cafe he was there all the time he mm -hmm. was always checking in uh, there were times where he would sit across at the river cafe he'd sit across the manhattan side with binoculars to look into the restaurant to make sure people were doing their job properly and i don't think you get that in these large restaurant groups yeah, and I think, you know, ironically, um, or maybe not, uh, the other problem or issue that the large restaurant groups create is that they have more financial wherewithal to pull in more staff and to give more benefits. It, it's really hard to compete with the groups because, you know, you have to match their hourly for your cooks right. and, and back of house people. You have to match that. Um, and they're offering, they have incentives and there's promotions available, going to other restaurants, moving up the chain. When it's one restaurant, there's the upward mobility is, is a little difficult because there, there aren't that many positions and you have to match the benefits. It's very hard for, for an individual owner to do that. Really hard. Agreed. And especially in New York with the rents and everything. Well, speaking of proprietorship, how does it feel for you to be proprietor instead of maitre d'. Talking uh, about you know, I, I've been I was a partner before, but never the sole proprietor. And let me tell you, maitre d' is a lot easier. You get to go home. <laughs> <laughs> and, yep, and, and you get days off. But it's it's been wonderful to to create this experience here. 
and have all the decisions be mine for better or worse. You know, I've made some bad decisions and I'm in the process of rectifying a bunch of them, but it's also, they were my decisions. And a lot of times when you're in a group, there's eight, four or five people and everyone has an opinion and you listen to a lot of bad opinions sometimes that wind up getting executed. And there's not much you can do about that. But at least here, I I, I knew what I wanted. I try to create that um, in all aspects of the restaurant, front of house, back of house, the design, you know, all our equipment and all. And it that was a, a challenge, but a lot of fun because this is my theater. So it's putting all these pieces together backstage, you know, on stage. And that was great. So that's the difference, except like it's exhausting. I've taken one day off in, since July 1st. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I guess you maybe can rectify that in uh, 2024. <laughs> I hope. I hope so. <laughs> I'm I'm trying. No, I have a new hire, new manager coming in uh, in a, in about a week or so, and that's really going to alleviate my workload a bit. But also, my name's on the door, and people like it when I'm here, and I love being here. Yeah, I love being here. I just can't do it, you know. Uh, Forever, five days in a row. Yeah. Exactly. So what has been the biggest good surprise? Because I'm sure you had a lot of surprises. Yeah, I honestly, the the absolute affection and excitement that people have for me in the restaurant, it really goes deep and that blows me away. Uh, Again, going back to earlier, what I said, there was a need for a restaurant like this and people are so happy to have it. And so that void is now being filled and they're so happy. And all my customers of my 35 plus years in the business that are coming back and getting to see them. It's just been really, it's it's kind of heartwarming, if that doesn't I, sound too corny. That's wonderful. And how about the biggest frustration? Consistency. Huh. It's really hard to get one day to the next when, for one, you're short-staffed. We had a bout of COVID here that lasted about, oh my God, two and a half months. And we never had a full staff till this past two weeks. So we would have to close the book because we couldn't have enough servers on the floor. The chefs were working double time because cooks were out. We really went through and it was a bad bout. People were sick, six, seven days, uh, myself included. And I think we're through that now. So that has been really hard to be able to put enough people on the floor and in the kitchen that the books can be open and we can serve as many people as possible. Um, So that was the biggest frustration. Mm, Okay. Um, well, no more COVID, please. Yeah. Um, okay, so here we are. We're at the end of October. And I think the fact that it's taken so long for this podcast to actually launch is also a, a testament to how crazy the business is right now yeah. for all of us that are in it. Um, New York, but, back. New York yeah. is back. People it's are back. so excited yeah. to go out and see other people. And it's it's really exciting. So let's leave our listeners with what should they do if they want to get a table between now and the end of the year? Well, you know, we have a lot of seats and we keep uh, five tables open for walk-ins. So we have that. And we do have a lot of reservations available. And it's obviously through Resi. We have a phone line. You can also call the restaurant. Look, we don't want to say no to anyone. You know, obviously the the prime times fill up the fastest. But also if you really want to come into the restaurant and you can't get through the phone line or you can't get Resi, stop in. 
ask for me, ask for Christina or Olivia, my maitre d's, and we will get you in, I promise you. Fantastic. All right. Thank you so much, Michael. It's been a delight and I'll see you soon for another hamburger and fries. And Thanks, Erica. I appreciate it. Good luck with the podcast. Good luck with the podcast. And please say hi to Dante for me. Thank you. I will. Have a good night. All right. Bye. Okay. Bye. See you next time for our visit to Restaurant Danielle and our episode celebrating the 30th anniversary of that world-renowned gastronomic temple.